Yes. Now, I have never heard of negative growth outside of economics. How how uh, much negative I growth have, do you have? I mean, <laughs> you're I have, shrinking. I, it's not how they Yes, <laughs> I have I have I've lost about 20 pounds and that's That's shrinking. Growth. That's not negative. You you're growing as a person as you shrink as a human being. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill up the wall with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach starring... Well, you want me to say Jeff? Uh, yeah, I want and, you to say your okay. name. Jeff and... Uh, and Jake. Wait, do, should I say my name? I think so. Yeah, we're the Jeff stars. And- we're, we're kind of inappropriate stars in that we don't even know that we're stars. When people say no. we're starring in this role, we kind of go, what? what does that mean? We're economists. That's not possible. Uh, no. So Jeff and Jake McClure are here. We do occasionally know how to say our own names. Sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes we can even do it um, synchronized. It's just very difficult. I know this is a very strange conversation for economists to have, but you've got to take your wins where you can get them. This is the Personal Wealth Coach, and we're going to be talking today about money and finance, both on the big, 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 big scale of the whole world and the federal government and Federal Reserve, and on the little scale of what's important to do when you're planning for your own future. However, we have some disclosures that must be made Anybody that talks about money without telling you all the disclosures, I don't know. I don't know if you should trust them or not. And if the disclosures are at high speed and low volume, probably not trustworthy either. But we are the personal wealth coach, which is also the name of an SEC registered investment advisory firm. Just because it's registered with the SEC doesn't mean that they say we're some kind of awesome fill in the blank. It just that's the regulatory body. Uh, that's. Disclosure number one. Disclosure number two, being registered with the SEC, the firm's job, what we do when we're behind our desks, is to give fiduciary investment advice. But that's impossible to give on the radio without violating all the rules that make it fiduciary investment advice. It says there's privacy issues and we don't know everybody we're talking about or to. So in the middle of that, we're going to be giving education rather than advice on the air. Um, and we've got questions already out there. I'm going to drop the email addresses in the middle of the disclosure and see if we can get more questions lined up. Uh, if you want to ask questions to get that educational response, the email addresses in here are jeff at tpwc.com, as in the personal wealth coach, and jake at tpwc.com. Would you like to do your most favorite and most wonderful of disclosures? <laughs> Certainly. The information we present on this radio program has been obtained from sources that we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. Can we make? I look a forward new, to saying that all week. I know you do. It just be easier. Can we make a word that means guarantee or warranty together? Guarantee, maybe guarantee. Now that's like heavy metal. That's I don't know. Uh, we we need a word so that you don't have to be so repetitive and a redundant. Warranty. Well, warranty and guarantee both end with e, so they're already with t. But with t. But they have different they have different legal definitions, and this is a legal disclosure. Do you warrant that? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So next up, we don't pay for this radio program. 
because why would we do that? Um, but we also don't get paid to do the radio program. All that is saying this is this is not an infomercial. We've been doing this program. Well, he's been doing it since 1997, and I joined him on the program in 1998 because two hours was too long to talk alone. And I was like, what are you talking about? You do it all the time. But uh, it's still nice. We've been doing this for a long time, free of charge. We've got some benefit from it, though. A lot of our clients listen to this program. And occasionally we get people calling in that saying, hey, we've been listening to your program for 15 years and we'd like to talk to you about investing. What we don't get out of this is like masses of people coming in our door saying, I want to invest many millions of dollars because believe it or not, multimillionaires rarely make a decision about investing all of their millions of dollars based on who they heard on a local radio program or even a podcast. They didn't get to that point by that low a due diligence. Well, there's an exception to that. There was a guy up in Dallas who who had a radio show and I've heard his radio show at various times. And um, he had it for like 23 years. And I thought it was 16 years or 23 years. It's not important. The, the issue is the SEC just slammed him and the courts are slamming him and he's probably going to get to spend some time in an orange jumpsuit. He, uh, if I recall the number correctly, was running a Ponzi scheme yeah. where he built 20-some million dollars from people. Did I get my numbers right? It's, uh, it's fake. It's... A Mark Plummer used his radio show to push listeners to give money to his business partner's company, which would then funnel money through Plummer's company. So basically he was giving money to his partner to get paid, who then would give it to him to get paid. And he's been charged with the... This is all allegedly at this point. He's been charged by the SEC. and, And just because you're charged by the SEC, we're innocent until proven guilty. But they rarely make a big statement like this without a lot of evidence. So at least there's smoke. They've got to prove the fire. Uh, so Okay, now that's not the one I'm talking about. Texas radio host who built listeners out of millions is sentenced to life in prison. Oh. William Neal Gallagher. Oh, there's the 80, one. 80. Okay. Took at least $23 million from more than 190 people to fuel a Ponzi scheme using their retirement savings. He, um, yeah, that's that's the guy. His name is Gallinger. How many people did he build? Gallagher. How many people were involved? 190 people. He focused on Christians and churches. So the average size of that. He's known as the money doctor. The average size of each of those investments was around $120,000. So we... we, Well, that's the average. Yeah, that's the... uh, There probably were some people with more than that in there. And this this is an... We can talk more about that after we finish with the market and with with the rest of our disclosures. I think it's worth spending some time trying to figure out how to teach people who's on the up and up and who's not. Uh, Because there are people out there that want to take your money. How's that for weird? I think we got all the disclosures out of the way. You want to jump into what happened in the market this week? Something happened in the market? I think so. I think the market existed all week. And now on to the next subject, weather. Uh, We had temperatures across the country this week. And now on to the next subject, sports. There were games played and the people that had the most points won. Unless it was golf. Or two. Yes, two. Oh, okay. All right. That was our economist viewpoint on what weather and sports is really about. Right. Well, the S&P 500 stock index, which is the 
the indicator we use to measure the broad stock market, it's not a very good one. It is, uh, matter of fact, we refer to it in the newsletter as cranky. It is because it cranked out another record close. It ended the week rising a nice exact 2% to 4697.53. Now, that was nice. But we need to mention that the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which we don't normally follow because it's only 30 stocks, but it's probably the most popular indicator of what's going on in the market, crossed the 36,000 line this week, which is, for those old guys like me, pretty significant because it was a book came out in, I think, 1999 called Dow 36,000. And people laughed at it and said, this is stupid. The Dow will never get to 36,000. I remember that book. And I remember talking Mm -hmm. about it and saying, well, it seems reasonable. It may be a while, but it seems reasonable. And then we looked at the prices in there and, oh, wow. That was the same time that Harry Dent was putting out another book, The Roaring 2000s, and predicted that the year 2002 was going to be a stellar. A lot of books were written at that point because the market was on a tear. Then we had a crash, and then we had a great recession. Then we had a pandemic, and it took the pandemic to get us up there. I was that yeah. for crazy. Right. But we did make it to Dow 36,000, so that's a little benchmark that you can look. I have these little landmarks in my mind, like when the Dow crossed 2,000. I have the Wall Street Journal from when it cost, crossed 6,000. I was working, and I have that sitting in my office because I thought, wow, that's a big number. And then it crossed 10,000. Yeah. Anyway, um, and it just keeps doing that. In between is the rough part yeah. where it bobs up and down. But the market value rise in the last year or so has been pretty astonishing. It's up the, the standard poor's five, not, not the standard poor, the S&P 500, standard poor's 500 stock index, is up over 25% this year. Now, I want those of you who are listening who can't remember that far back, <clears throat> unlike me, I take notes or I wouldn't be able to remember to think about how you felt at the beginning of the year about the stock market. Oh, that's, you're based, asking too much there. Remembering how you felt five minutes ago when you feel different right. now is almost impossible. We've encountered a lot of people who were very unhappy and were convinced that because of the results of the election, the stock market was going to crash and the Democrats were going to wreck the country. And, and we can uh, say this right at the beginning. We got as many calls from Republicans as Democrats and vice versa before the election talking about the disaster to come should fill in the blank be elected. Right. Right. But it's it's good to remember if you were one of those persons who was really scared at the beginning of this year. I mean, we had a pandemic hit and we had a new president and we had a new party in power. And if you were scared... Think about, or not the beginning of this year, beginning of last year. Well, new president came to the beginning of this year, though. Yeah, but the... The pandemic was the beginning of last year. Right. And so all this stuff was going on at the same time. So it's up 25% this year. It's up 33.58% since this time last year. And this is the biggie. This is the one that makes your eyes pop out of your head. Yeah. If you look at where it bottomed in March of 2020... The market is up 110%. The S&P 500 is up 10, 110%. That is, there's a lot of superlatives here. Uh, I, this is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw something in here. I recommend people going back. We have our radio programs, our podcasts available, recordings from that time period. Go back and check and see what we said. Hold us to it. 
check and see what we were saying when the market was tanking. Uh, tell, and, and hold us to what we said. I, yeah. I really want you guys to do it. I mean, this is not something you get from prognosticators very often. Hold me to what I predicted, because it's generally pretty ugly. But go back and look. Go back and listen. Read our newsletters at the time. And you're going to see some interesting stuff. That's that. Now I'm done. My shoulder's aching because I've been patting myself on the back. Now or we I pat you on the back too. We did a good job. Thank you. Talking about this stuff. <laughs> and now I'll stop patting us on our back. The, uh, we, there's another index we follow for equities. And that's the CRSP mid cap value index, which is rather obscure. Um, but it indicates another part of the market because the stock market indices during a bull market are normally dominated by large capitalization growth companies. The Teslas and the Microsofts and the, I was going to say Facebook, but it's not Facebook anymore. It's, no, it's uh, meta now. It's meta. The anyway, the, whatever is going on out there, the big high-tech companies. How are you supposed to keep cool acronyms like FANG? If they keep changing their name and now it's and then they pull Netflix out of it and now it's like Amco, is it really Amco? Are we making company names out of acronyms now? Uh, no. Yes, we are. We're just well, garbage. IBM. IBM is no longer international business machines. It's just IBM. Right. It's been that way a long time. It's just big blue. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't do business machines anymore, so you're fine. So the CRSP mid-cap value index rose 2.51% for the week and it's now up 25.61% year-to-date. We kind of follow that. The year, the yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury note was, as usual, odd this week. Uh, the Federal Reserve held its meeting and the news conference afterward, Jerome Powell, Dr. Jerome Powell, the chairman, made his announcements that we that the Federal Reserve is going to stop, going to start paring back, tapering its stimulus spending. It's, it was stimulus spending, meaning it buys bonds on the open market. It buys a lot of bonds on the open market, about $120 billion a month. And they're cutting back by about $15 billion a right. month for the next two months. And they will continue to taper back. If they were to do that steadily, then by June, um, it'll be over. They won't be stimulus. They won't be pumping money into the economy anymore. And we, we uh, actually and, have questions on this subject waiting for us. So we'll cover this in more depth in a few minutes. Right. We're covering this in just kind of the general vo- viewpoint at the beginning here. The point is that historically, and there was a lot of fear about this, but historically, when the Fed has started to taper, which is this is called, there's been something called a taper tantrum where the markets drop and the bond markets interest rates rise and the bond markets drop and the stock markets drop and people can, panic and run around. And- can we just take a moment and recognize that somebody made an almost pun there that everybody else has been using for a long time? Some anonymous person came up with the term taper tantrum. And that person needs some, some recognition, even if we don't know who they are. Thank you for making a cool punny sounding way of talking about what the market does because it really is a tantrum we're not seeing that now anyway go ahead but we just noticed that for the week this is the week in which the fed announced that they're going to reduce and eventually probably eliminate stimulus into the economy and the market went up and the market rose two percent and this is even more interesting the stock market rose two percent 
But the interest on the U.S. Treasury, 10-year U.S. Treasury note, which is the benchmark for all other interest rates, slipped 7% to close at 1.452. So interest rates, the Fed has basically said, we're going to stop pushing for lower interest rates. So the market said, oh, we'll give you more money then, which caused interest rates to go down. Which is just pretty backwards from what we've done historically, which means, by the way, that Jerome Powell is doing a really good job. Uh, he, the problem is when the market gets surprised, when the fed announces it's going to do something, it kind of gets squirrely. Yeah. And we got, he's we been got signaling for some time that they, he knows what he's doing and it's going to be deliberate. And he wants to, in the, in the news conference, he made a big point of saying that raises rises in interest rates following that are not necessarily linked to it, but they're willing to do it if inflation continues anyway. Um, so the yield curve is quite steep. That's good news. And for- a steep yield curve historically means high economic growth ahead. The 30-year bond is holding just under 2%. West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil, WTI, interestingly enough, fell 2.52% to $81.25. Even though despite OPEC is... Despite the fact... Yeah, you, you say that. Go ahead. Despite the fact that Russia and OPEC said, nope, we're not going to accelerate the pumping of oil to lower prices. We like high prices. Well, the... and. There's there's a movement back in the oil patch in the United States to pump more because the price is up. So it's bringing the price down. So it's, it's kind of interesting, the intuitive reaction in the markets this week of everything that was supposed that's happened has been back. The, ba- the reaction has been backward, which is a warning and a lesson to those of you who try to figure out what the market's going to do because such and such happened. It's really hard to impossible to intuitively guess what the market's going to do if something happens. I know that sounds really absurd, but this week was a prime example of things that historically have caused the stock market to go down, have caused the bond market to go up, and the reverse happened. I mean, interest rates fell and stocks rose, and that's the reverse of what Intuitively, I think somebody would have thought was going to happen. Anyway, that's, that's enough for the market. Employment situation summary was released by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, another bureaucrat filled place that I like. Employment rose by 531,000 in October. And the unemployment rate dropped to 4.6%. And actually, when you throw in the other quarter million that they added to the previous two months, we actually have about three quarters of a million new jobs that popped up and were recognized this month. 750-ish thousand. That's huge. Yeah. Um, that's impressive. Empl- unemployment rate is down to, are the unemployment rate is down to 4.6%. We're still missing a lot of people out of the employment situation who were working, who aren't working now for the reasons that we talked about last week. Uh, There's about 12 million people who have been identified by the Census Bureau as not working who would like to work, who aren't really seriously looking for jobs because of COVID uh, and the secondary effects of COVID. And that's the reality out there, which is why it's hard to find qualified people to hire. And workers, the Beige Book and other places, there's the, the, the companies are saying, we're having a heck of a time 
even though we offer bonuses, we offer all kinds of things. We're having a heck of a time finding somebody to hire. It is not being caused by excessive unemployment coverage. It looked that was a good guess on my part and a lot of other people's part as to why it was happening. But the federal unemployment extension is gone. Uh, people are now not earning a lot of money by not working. And yet we are still seeing a lot of people not working. So that's going on. Now, there's something that ties to that very nicely. There's a piece of bad news that's really good news. And that is that productivity growth in the third quarter of this year right. was a negative 5%. That's kind of backwards. It basically decreased 5%. Yeah. Productivity is what wait, wait. So we had a negative growth. Mm -hmm. That's economics. Economics, we talk about negative growth. So we'll translate that means shrinkage. It decreased. Or contraction. Yes. Now I have never heard of negative growth outside of economics. How how uh, much negative I growth have, do you have? I mean, <laughs> you're I have, shrinking. I, it's not how they Yes, <laughs> I have I have I've lost about twenty pounds and that's that's negative. shrinking. That's not negative. You're, you're growing as a person as you shrink as a human being. Somehow. Well, output increased 1.7% in the quarter, and hours worked increased 7%. Now, why is that good news? Because, That's a great question. Actually, if you look at the long-term productivity, it's still rising very nicely. It's just in that quarter it dropped. Why did it drop? We just said 750,000 people got hired yeah. in the last three months. There's your answer. That's the when you hire news. a new employee in any business, productivity drops. It's because you, that new employee takes a while to come up to speed. And, and you got to take the, the best people off the line to train them. <laughs> the absolute best people have to go to training now. Uh, okay. Those two go together very nicely. That's why it's important to look at all of that. Wages, are price, wages and prices are up. Yes. Uh, the wages that are being offered to these people are rising on average. Now, this is an important thing. The greatest rise in wages is going on at the bottom of the economic spectrum. So when you see an average, the average wages are up 4.9%, 4.6% uh, from last year, from fourth quarter, of, I mean, so over the last two years, from fourth quarter 2019, which is the last pre -pandemic, time. Pre-pandemic, pre-pandemic. Pre-pandemic. Yeah. Wages are up 4.6% which is not a lot. That's only 2.3% a year to begin with. But where, is the, where are those rises taking place? Primarily, they're taking place at the very low end of the wage scale. The people who were working for minimum wage before, minimum wage has effectively risen to somewhere around $12 to $15 an hour. I realize the law has not pushed the minimum wage up, but the fact is that in order to hire somebody, you have to pay them more than minimum wage if they're at all qualified to do anything. All of these things, you look at all of them together and they make a great deal of sense. Wages are up for the low income people and they need to be because the price of housing is up. The price of living is up, particularly in the areas where the, like Austin and the cities where the greatest labor shortage has been showing up. The cost of living there exceeded the amount of money a person could make. So it's probably a good idea to see their wages go up. We had stagnant wages at the low end of the spectrum for a long time and rising wages at the high end of the, uh, the labor spectrum for a long time. And that is somewhat reversing itself now, and that's a good healing thing. So basically, what we see in the economy at this point is we run out of time in this first hour. What we've seen going on in this recovery, and is it shifts from recovery to expansion, is a tremendous amount of good news. Now, it's not going to show up that way if you watch the media in any form or fashion. They're going to 
portray it mainly as bad news whenever they can, because bad news gets your attention much better than good news. I mean, nobody reports. We had thousands of airplanes land today with no accidents. I don't want to read about More that. More on that at five. Uh, we'll go into detail on each airplane that landed. We'll have interviews with everyone and ask them how they felt about landing safely. What we're seeing going on in the economy is extremely healthy, and there's a tremendous amount of momentum. There's a tremendous amount of cash in the economy still there. And then again, this is not necessarily stimulus money. This is money that people didn't spend that they normally would have spent on this, on, on eating out and going to movies and so on. We will work through that in the next year or two. I think people will tend to have a larger savings position than they did in the past because of the shock of right. the pandemic. They just weren't ready for that. I agree. I think and that's a habitual change in savings for everybody that experienced it. So I think we've, we've got some healthy changes going on in the economy. I also think that this chaos that we see going on around us will provide a spur, a impetus in the United States economy to do a lot of things well that we necessarily, we were probably passing off to other people in the past. And this is the personal wealth coach and we're about out of time for this first hour. So if you'd like to contact us off the air, we have local telephone numbers and we have, we have voicemail on the weekends, but during the week we have live people answering the phone at 254-947-1111. Or you can get that same line toll free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. Presuming you still have a landline, it's toll free. Uh, otherwise, you can email us or go to our webpage. The webpage is thepersonalwealthcoach.com or if you're lazy like me, just tpwc.com where you can see our Made for Radio Faces, our wonderful staff. You can also check out our newsletters going back. Sign up for our newsletter there. Listen to our podcasts or our, our radio programs going back lots, lots of years. Like I said, go back and check us out. See what we did correctly and wrongly. Um, and uh, email us directly at jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. Until next hour, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach. <laughs>